As I shared earlier that this is our first week of Advent, and so we lit our first candle, the candle of hope, something this world needs more than ever. Like the prophets in the Old Testament, we hope for a Messiah to save us from the sin of the world. We anticipate our Savior's arrival. Today we lit the first candle, which symbolizes hope, also known as the prophecy candle. This candle assures us that we can have hope that God will fulfill all the prophecies declared in the Old Testament about Jesus. Romans 5, verse 5, tells us, And hope does not put us to shame, which means it doesn't disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, we don't just hope as if we were wishing for something to happen. Upon coming to Jesus and repenting of our sins and asking God to help us live our lives for Him, He sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts and now lives inside of us to personally deliver hope to us each and every day if, as long as we acknowledge Him in our lives. We have a chance to open up hope every day if we acknowledge God at the beginning of each day. The Holy Spirit living in us is our down payment, guaranteeing the whole promise as long as we continue to submit to Him and trust Him with all of our hearts. In this day and age where evil abounds and sometimes it seems like all is lost, we can also hope that the prophecies of Jesus' second arrival, or second coming to earth, will also be fulfilled. This is what we've been talking about in our study of Revelation. Jesus calls us to make ourselves ready for His return. I hope that you've gotten something out of these messages. I think this is the tenth week, our final week on this series of the of Revelation. The somber purple color of the candle represents repentance, something we've talked about a lot in all of our letters to the churches. It also represents fasting as we anticipate the Lord's coming. Purple also doubles as a color of royalty throughout the Bible symbolizing God's kingship and His reign. Oftentimes Christians confuse the word hope for wishful thinking. If we hope something will happen, we have no control or whether or not it will take place. Kind of hoping for your team to win. Right? But the, the biblical sense of hope is different. The biblical sense of hope in the Bible exists as a secure assurance a trust placed in a trustworthy God. God has not failed us in the past, and therefore, if He claims He will do something in the future, we can have a hope that He will fulfill that claim. Hope waits and endures. It isn't flimsy or merely wishful thinking. It can withstand fire and trials and despair. Hope is an important thing. It helps us during significant trials or times of distress. It offers us security that God will arrive. And though we cannot see Him now, the Bible says that one day we will see Him face to face. The same God we worship and believe by faith, one day we will see Him face to face. During this Advent season, it helps us to recognize the hope of the Israelites to what they experienced throughout the times of the Old Testament, especially during the times of the prophets, like Isaiah, 
where our Advent reading came from today. They yearned for a Messiah to save them from their enemies and ultimately their greatest enemy, sin. Like the prophets, we also hope. We hope that Jesus will return soon to this dark and despairing world. Thus, with that message of hope, we enter into our message for today. It is entitled, Hot or Cold? Revelation 3, verse 14. says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus is the living Amen, which means He has the final say. What a word of encouragement this is for us today. No matter what sentence the world has put upon you, no matter what sentence you are having to walk through right now, we are to trust in Jesus. He is the Amen. His name is above all names. He is the rock to whom we cling and the one in whom we place all of our trust, even though what looks or seems unnatural seems off to the distance. We cling to the rock that we see by faith. He is the faithful and can be trusted to bring us through it all. It's so easy to lose our focus and to fall into doubt and despair and sadness or anger or even apathy. But He reminds us here that no matter what, He will bring us through. We don't have to hope in our faith or lack thereof. We simply need to trust the One who has been faithful in bringing all things to pass through the Old Testament and even here today as we worship Him here in this place. Thus, it is fitting to hear these words of Jesus on this, our first week of Advent, as we light our candle of hope. Since our hope is in Jesus, we can also call this candle the candle of promise. Jesus is the true witness, as the verse says. In fact, He is the only witness we can trust. In the world, the devil is also known as the accuser of the brethren. And he can be heard daily speaking lies, attempting to give witness of false hope, attempting to give witness of false solutions and false direction. However, only Jesus gives true direction and true instruction. Thus, we must continually seek to be in His Word, learning and discerning His voice. Revelation 3.15 Jesus continues, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. How we kid ourselves that we are hiding anything from God. God knows our works. It means so much more than just that He sees our works. It means He knows our motivations. He knows our inner thoughts. He knows the wounds in our past, how they affect how we act today. He knows what moves us, what drives us, what annoys us. No matter how well we fake it on the outside, God knows us inside and out. He knows our works. Even though God has declared His judgment against sin, we find this intriguing verse that seems to say that cold is better than being halfway there. 
In fact, it says that God says, I could wish you were either cold or hot. How can it be that cold is even on the same playing field as hot? How could God wish that we were either cold or hot? Well, Revelation 3.16 goes on. He says, So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Remember that this is a message to the church. Not to the world of heathens and unbelievers. This is a message to the church. God hates the idea of being lukewarm. Because when you are in this place, nothing or no one can move you. Why does God desire cold over lukewarm? Let's take a look at our own lives and our own conversions. Many of us were cold when God first became alive to us and became real to us. We had maybe reached the end of our ropes. Maybe we had hit rock bottom. We had tried everything else and nothing else worked. We had nothing left and we were desperate. We had to know that we were lost before we would be open to being found. We often cannot really appreciate love until we have felt unloved. We cannot realize hope until we have been in despair. We often cannot believe promises until we have been betrayed, either by others or by our expectations of life itself. So why the talk of lukewarm when God is talking to the church? Because this is the biggest threat to Christians today. Mainly because it sneaks in undetected. We become so focused on our needs and our concerns and our problems that we fail to see the bigger picture. It's too easy to think sometimes that things are okay when you're personally out of a trial. Yet at the same time, a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker, someone in the same pew as you may feel like they're dying on the vine may feel alone. Just waiting for God to speak something through you to them. It's too easy to think, you know, I'm okay today. I'm just, I'm just going to rest in the Lord today and I just have a good day. Without ever thinking about the tragedies in the Middle East. The Christians being tortured for their faith in India and Pakistan and Asia. And the signs of the end times flashing frantically all over the place if we choose to look. The truth is that you may think that you're hot. But if you're not moved by the signs of the times today to intercede for your brothers and sisters in Christ, to pray for those of the church that need a touch of God, to make a tangible donation to the needy when so moved, to spend real time cultivating a friendship with someone in the hopes that they might be open to God's touch in their lives. That if you don't have these tangible responses, you indeed could be lukewarm and not even know it. It's the growing movement of the lukewarm that is the church's greatest enemy today. It is the feeling of contentment. The idea of feeling comfortable in this world. The thought that no desperation is needed in seeking God. 
That's the definition of lukewarm. At least those who are cold are asking questions, looking for fulfillment. Even if they're looking in the wrong places, at least they're looking. The lukewarm live like there's no need to change anything. No need to repent. No need to seek God more the next day than they did the day before. And to this God says, not me, but God, if you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Church, we've talked about all these letters to the churches. This is the final warning to the churches. And it is the most serious one for us today. We must be alert. We must be open to the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. And we must desperately seek the Lord each and every day so that we remain hot and on fire for Jesus and advancing His kingdom in the world. God desires that we are either hot or cold so that He has something to work with. If you're lukewarm and you don't think you need to change, there's nothing that you can give God that He can work with. God desires us to be hot or cold. Someone who is open to change. Someone that God can mold into His greatness. Too often we focus our prayers of intercession, our thoughts and our actions, only on the people who are cold. Thinking we need to pray for that person because they're so bad and they're so off and they're so evil and they're so hurt. I need to focus all my prayers but only on the people that are cold. When the truth is that God is very real to those who are cold once they've hit the lowest point. After all, you don't really have a testimony until you've been tested. Anybody been tested in here? You don't really have a message to share until you've been a mess. Anybody ever been a mess before? You see, what we should be doing is focusing our prayers on those who are lukewarm. Maybe they just need to be broken more. Maybe they haven't yet hit rock bottom. Maybe there's one more thing that's keeping them from a total surrender to Jesus. To go from lukewarm to cold is the proper progression that connects people with God. You see, many times we think if someone is halfway there, we just need to help them get all the way there. And the way we do that is we promote our church, we promote our programs, we promote, we try to sell Christianity. Thinking that they're almost there if we can just get them all the way. But if we can convince them into the kingdom, the world can convince them out of the kingdom. So maybe we have the wrong progression. Rather than going from lukewarm to hot, maybe they need to go from lukewarm to cold. To get to the end of themselves. To stop relying on themselves. To be truly open to Jesus. Too often the church gets focused on people, on taking people from lukewarm and trying to drive them to hot. But when this happens, the lukewarm are simply entertained by a message or touched by a song or drawn by what appears to be joy. But then when trials hit and challenges come, because there is no root, these same people who were persuaded to give Jesus a try are just as quickly to be persuaded to go back to have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. Thus they return to being lukewarm and are in danger of being spit out of God's mouth. 
You see, too often we promote the wrong progression. Think of it this way. Think of a traffic light. It doesn't go from caution yellow to green. It goes from yellow to red. This is the progression of God. From yellow to red to green. In other words, from lukewarm to cold to hot and on fire for Jesus. The truth is that many times people are praying for themselves or for others to be taken out of their trials that were designed to put them in the perfect progression. Sometimes rather than praying for someone to get relief, we need to pray that God maybe needs to break their human will, but sustain their spirit. That's the beauty of God. It's one of the hardest prayers that I've often prayed even for my own children. When I know they're heading the wrong way or I know something's off in their life and I know things are miserable, it's so easy to have that compassion to want to go in and rescue them but it doesn't really help them. And so the, often the prayer that I, God has me pray is, God, break their will, but sustain their spirit. Take them to a place where they're no longer relying on their own strivings and their own logic, where they can only reach out to you. And then you lift them up and you give them your grace and you give them your power where they can't explain it any other way that the world helped me. They know that when they've been healed, that when they have a breakthrough, they know it's only because of you, God. That's tough to say that prayer when you see someone who's hurting. But we know if we rescue them, we're going to find ourselves back in that same place. We need Jesus Christ, the King of our hearts, to rescue them. We need to pray that people will fall all the way down so that God alone can pick them up with His grace and His power and His love and His compassion. Are you willing to stand by someone through this fall? Not judging them, not rescuing them, but letting God have His complete work in them so that they are hungry for Him? Are you willing to encourage them and let them know that you will not leave them, but you're going to pray and believe for the victory right with them? Revelation 3.17 Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. This message is not just for someone else. It may be for you. Be careful lest you fall in overconfidence. Watch, as the Word says. Be alert. At least when we are cold, we know that we are in need of something. Through times of repentance, we see our actual state and know that what we need is God. We go through cycles in life where we must either be hot or cold. It's okay to be cold at times because we know what something's missing in our lives. If you don't know what you are, there's a good chance you may be lukewarm. Wake up. Press in. Fall all the way down and seek Him with reckless abandon. I've written many books in my life. The first, very first book I wrote was called What's Breaking Your Fall? Reminded me when I was in, in school, a friend of mine was playing football. He got tackled and he tried to break his fall and he broke his elbow as well. 
that what they told him was, you shouldn't break your fall, you should just learn to fall down. How many know that even as adults, we always try to break our fall? And some of the things that we use to break our fall is our pride. We don't want to fall all the way down. We don't want to admit that we can't do it. Or maybe fear breaks our fall because we're afraid if we fall down that no one will come pick us back up. There's a lot of things that we use to break our fall, but God's saying unless you fall all the way down, unless you realize that you can't do it on your own, then I can't pick you back up. Because if you've fallen halfway, then you're half of your foundation is yourself. God says the only way I can take you from here to there is if you fall all the way down. I don't know what any of, any of you or all of you are facing. I don't, know, I don't know the trials in your life. I know the trials in my life. And I'm constantly reminded to fall all the way down. To admit that I can't do anything. To admit that I'm powerless before God. Because when I get to that place, His Word says that my grace is sufficient for you. That in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. We can only access His perfect strength when we admit our weakness. That's the truth. God asks us all to fall down into His arms so that He can pick us back up in His glory. Revelation 3.18 I counsel you to buy from Me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. What's God talking about here? To buy gold means that it will cost you something. The way that gold gets to its pristine state is that gold is refined in a fire. It must go through a refining process, a purging of yourselves. But know that when you're in this fiery trial, that God puts us through trials in life. There's a reason for that season in your life. Whatever it may be, whatever type of trial you're in, however long it may last, I want to tell you that there's another in the fire with you. God doesn't put you in the fire and wait for your time to be dumped to come get you out. He's with you every step of the way, bringing you encouragement, telling you that His mercies are new every morning telling you to continue to rely on Him and He will bring you through the fire. There's always another in the fire if we're willing to look. God is in the midst of the fire with you, desiring to make you holy even as He is holy. As long as you trust Him, He will bring you all the way through the fire, through the refining purpose and filling you with His goodness. Then when you're filled with what is of God, you will be rich. Not in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes. The white garments that He talked about, that you're clothed with, after the purging of repentance is the clothing of His righteousness. And the shame of your nakedness is a reference back to the garden with the introduction of sin where they tried to cover their sin. When we try to cover our sin by our own attempts, we try to seal the shame of our wickedness. God wants you to be honest with Him. He already knows you sinned. When you're honest with Him, you're not ashamed of that. You give it to God that God can cover you with His righteousness and forgiveness. And when you have turned to Jesus, 
repented of your sins, and approached God the Father, He doesn't see your sins any longer. They've come under the blood of Jesus. What He sees is the righteousness of Jesus on you. Revelation 3.19 As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. This is the last letter of the churches. Jesus doesn't say, as many as I love, let's go have a party. Because we made it. He says, I rebuke and chasten those that I love. He does that because He loves us. Because He wants us to become more like Him. So be zealous. Go after Him. Here is the answer. Use the cold to your advantage. Use the downhill descent to pick up speed, but instead of crashing at the bottom, start praising Jesus and you'll come right back up again. When we admit that we can't do it, we're open to God picking us back up so that we can become hot for Him. Call out to Him. Be zealous. Revelation 3.20 very familiar verse, often taken out of context. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Many people believe that, or they talk about this verse saying that, hey, if you don't know Jesus, he's knocking on the door of your heart, open up, he'll come into your life and let you in and, and, and come in with you. But remember, this is a letter written to believers. This is a letter written to the church. If you've been convicted by these words, that you've not been desperate enough for more of Jesus, that you've been too comfortable in this world, that you maybe are a little more lukewarm than you realized, then these words are for you. If you have been overtaken by the negativity in this world, if you've been pulled into the gossip around you, if you found yourself suddenly overtaken by fear or starved of hope as of late, if the fire in your heart is not burning hot enough for your heavenly King, then understand that Jesus in this message is talking to you right now. He stands at the door and knocks. He desires to come into your life to forgive you completely, to love you, to heal you physically and spiritually and mentally and emotionally. He desires to destroy your shame, to obliterate your fears, and to give you a hope that does not disappoint. Listen, there's a door between you and Jesus. But there's only one doorknob. It's on your side of the door. He needs to knock. That's Him calling on you. And when you open your life to Him and be vulnerable before Him, then He comes into you. If you are lukewarm... You won't get up and let Jesus in because you think that He's already inside. Yet if you are convicted by His Word, you will daily seek Him, daily repent, and continually keep your door and heart open to Jesus. His desire right now is you. Open the door. Keep it open to Him. Revelation 3.21 To Him who overcomes... I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame 
and sat down with my Father on His throne. The greatest promise follows the greatest warning. Remember He said, if you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. But in that, to that same church, to that same group of people, He says, I will come in and dine with you. And I will allow you to sit down with my Father on His throne. Why? Because the green light follows the red. As we wait in joyful hope for the coming of our Lord and as we prepare our hearts for Christ and the coming of the Christmas season, let us keep our eyes on Jesus who made a way for everyone who opens the door to Him. Revelation 3.22 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen, I don't know where you're at right now in life. Maybe things are going well. I'm sure that whether it's you or someone you know is going through the fire right now. A trial. A refining process. And maybe you don't know what it is, but I'm here to tell you that no matter what you're going through, there's another in the fire. God is with you. God is with that person to bring you through, to bring you closer to Him, to hear His voice. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are faithful indeed. We thank You that though we go through the trials of life, You are always with us. You're always in the fire with us because You desire to bring us through it for Your glory. Lord God, we lift, we intercede for our brothers and sisters around the world and right here in our community who need Your touch. Lord God, as COVID has taken a fear into many places and has taken many people. Lord God, we pray also pray that your spirit holds us together. We pray that people would be able to touch you, touch your presence, to have that hope, to have that faith, to be encouraged by one another. Lord God, let each of us be a light in this world. We pray, God, that people would know that you are near that people would know Your presence even greater. For those, God, who are shut in right now, may they feel Your heart burning brighter. Lord God, move us to call people, to write letters, to send notes, to visit one another. Let us not be alone. Move us to be Your hands and feet in this earth. We thank You to move through us. As we wait in joyful hope for the coming of Jesus this season, let us not just wait. Let us move. Let us act. Let us be involved in people's lives. Let us share our hope and love and joy as a reflection of Jesus in this world. We thank You for Your touch. We thank You for Your forgiveness, for Your healing and Your encouragement. Thank You, Lord, that You are always near. Be with us, Lord God, as we go forward each and every step of each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.